Jag vet inte hur många sällskaper jag har mött som sliter med att få in professionella investorer till trots för att produkten egentligen är ganska bra och sällskapet visar växt och goda tal. Vi ser en ting de proffsiga investorerna på utsikter i tillägg att du bygger ett bra sällskap självklart är hur du hanterar dina aktionärer eller ditt så kallade cap table som det heter på startupsk. Ett ödelagt cap table sätter rätt och slett en stopper för sällskapsutveckling. Unlisted.ai gör det möjligt för sällskaper att hantera aktie- och optionsprogrammer, aktieägarboken, cap table och det mesta av rättigheter in mot aktierna i sällskapet på ett sted. Pröv Unlisted.ai sin gratisversion idag. Välkommen till Shifters podcast. I dag möter vi Juri van Gest som är er en av Singularity University ambassadörerna och han är er också författaren bak boken Exponential Organizations. Juri är er en av vår tids mest intressanta tänkare inom innovation och organisationsutveckling. Han kommer till Oslo i likhet med eh, vår förre gäst Nir Eyal och eh, eh, de ska bägge snacka på Corporate Innovation Day i Oslo 20 oktober. Shifter är er mediepartner så du får rabatt hvis du vill delta på arrangemanget. Bruk partnerkoden Shifter och skriv Shifter i kodefältet. Här är er Juri. So, uh, hi Yuri. Uh, what is your background, and how did you end up studying exponential organizations? Yeah, so I have a background as a business economist at the university in Rotterdam. I studied strategic management, uh, which is quite important for the book. I started with the internet space uh, 22 years ago. Uh, moved to mobile and social 12 years ago. Moved to Singularity around 10 years ago, uh, also on, on my blog uh, back then. Uh, moved to Singularity in in detail uh, in 2008 at Singularity Summit. Moved to Singularity University in 2010, the second uh, course. Um, changed my life. Uh, got more excited and more involved. And I was invited by Salim to write the book uh, together in March 2012 and um, we we wrote the book for for two and a half years together with Mike Malone, Peter Diamandis and Mikhail Skuman and um, yeah it's basically if you sum it up it's an evolution of digitization in the last 22 years. So uh, so how how did the Singularity University change your life? What, What did you see? Now it's a, it's a very special place in the sense that you learn so much by yeah, all the key experts in the world uh, in biotech and nanotech and neurotech in AI robots drones 3D and 4D printing and sensors solar energy blockchain quantum computing all these fields are doubling in capacity and you get a real sense uh, of what's going on in in technology and that's an amazing experience because you see the best yeah examples and experts in the world all yeah after each other right hmm. hello yeah i'm still there yeah okay yeah so and uh, and uh, so and you studied um, for your book you studied exponential organizations uh, yeah. so so what what is an exponential organization and and why is that an important concept exponential organization is at least 10 times faster more efficient and or more effective than a classic linear organization in the same vertical market 
and they use different exponential technologies and to they also use new organizational techniques to help drive this improvement and, and it's a new world we'll be entering uh, an exponential world of exponential technologies plus globalization so it's a new environment so in which you have to adapt your whole organization uh, it's a systemic in- transformation of organizations that means a linear organization just won't cut it you have to create an exponential organization for exponential world to close the gap basically so, so what's the difference between a linear and an exponential what, what uh, because uh, to me it sounds like a linear it sounds like a, you know a, a linear process it's you know like a, a graph going steadily um, uh, uh, not vertical but diagonal uh, line and an exponential is more of a hockey stick and so so what what do you mean really mean by exponential organization is it is it really is it developing faster and faster and faster is that it if you look at technology, the answer is yes. Uh, for example, 3D printing used to cost 40,000 bucks 10 years ago. Today it's 100 bucks. Uh, industrial robots, half a million eight years ago. Today, 1,000 bucks. One human full DNA profile or genome used to take 10 million nine years ago. Today, 100 bucks. So, Technology is moving at, at, an, at, an, at an exponential rate, and this will intensify. Uh, we don't know how for how long, but it, it will intensify for the time being. So you have to adapt, let's say, your key building blocks as an organization. You have to organize for scalability, and you have to scale the whole organization, not just technology or systems like cloud computing. It won't cut it. You have to scale organizational structures, cultures, KPIs, processes, strategies, people. You have to scale everything using new technologies and new techniques to scale the organization. So so what's an an example of scaling the organization? I think a great example is uh, if you look at, for example, at uh, GitHub, it's only a small organization, 500 employees, and just a few weeks ago, they realized, okay, we have to add one layer of hierarchy, a management layer, after 500 employees. Because normally, you would you would cl- create more hierarchies at a faster pace, right? Hmm. So that's very interesting because if you decentralize an organization, let, let's say with, with, with more autonomy, self-organizing teams, you are more, much more fluid and flexible and more agile than, let's say, a classic linear organization. So you are more easily able to uh, sense and respond, to adapt in a distributed way to help scale the whole, whole organization. So is that a key characteristic of an exponential organization, a self-governing governed organization that, is, uh, yeah. uh, that can easily adapt to an environment? Yeah, so we move from centralized, hierarchical, top-down to more, let's say, bottom-up, self-organized, network-based, distributed. um, And that's a big shift from, let's say, the past. And let's say 20 years ago, this was not feasible. It goes way beyond a flat organization or horizontal organization or, let's say, decentralization. They're talking about... um, yeah, self-organizing teams with full autonomy and this decentralized authority 
that's quite different from the past. We, ha we haven't seen this before in the last, let's say, now, decades. Yeah, um, I've, um, I don't know, you, you probably read it, and I've read the book of uh, Frederick Laloux, uh, the, the book Reinventing Organizations. Yeah. Um, good book. I don't know if you're, you, yeah, yeah, good, good book, book, yeah. And uh, he, he, he use, actually uses uh, the Dutch example of uh, Burtzorg. Yeah, uh, the um, Yeah, the, um, the um, private home care company. Right, uh, which is uh, completely autonomous and, and self-organizing. Uh, do, do you do you think that this um, um, uh, is that the perfect example of uh, uh, of an of an exponential organization? Yeah, fully. So in our book, uh, we we take some of the same examples as uh, Frederick Laloux, some. Patagonia, AAS, Ricardo Semmler, Buurtzorg, it's all the same. Uh, Morningstar, uh, but also uh, some recent examples like uh, Supercell, uh, Valve Gaming Software, ING Direct, uh, Hire, Zappos, Amazon. Now we can continue. Uh, ING Bank itself yeah. today, right? Exact Software. And there are so many examples today that... Uh, it seems to be a trend, right? So I think Buurtzorg is a really, 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 really great example in terms of healthcare, uh, lowering responsibility, lower inside the organization, self-organizing teams, and yeah, it's way cheaper than let's say let's say let's say the classic linear organization in in healthcare. Mm. Uh, so um, so um, it's not. Um, the the trans trans transitional period must be pretty tough to go from a linear organization to an uh, uh, exponential organization. Um, what are the main pitfalls in this transition? Now, there are many. If you move from uh, actually, we are doing this globally with large organizations. It's it's a long term process. Uh, the the biggest pitfall is to don't change or revitalize the core C suite team and the board because if you don't adapt those teams to a new world they will never really get all those new ideas popping up from the bottom up inside your organization so that's one uh, two is to not be able to let go of control and to withstand the pressure of shareholder value uh, short-termism uh, that's a big mistake and also, when you let let go of control uh, inside your organization or outside, and you see different startups uh, that you involve with your organization or that you uh, create, if a startup if a startup becomes successful, we call it EXO on the edges, uh, internally and externally. If you want to integrate it after two years, what happens? You kill the entrepreneurial spirit. That's the biggest, one of the biggest mistakes being made to even today with large corporates, right? Because the shareholders will say, okay, we have a cash flow issue because of your EXL on the edge, your startup, bring it inside your core organization, get more control, and then we are happy. But then you kill the innovative idea, right? Also, hmm. sometimes the CEO becomes jealous, right? Because their stock ownership by the EXL on the edges, startup, by the employees or the founders, whatever, and they make more money yeah, on paper than, let's say, the CEO. They get uh, envious or uh, jealous, 
They integrate it and they kill the innovative idea. There's also the, the, the issue of um, internal politics, right? So if you have an EXO on the edges or a startup or innovative idea, and you have to report to the CFO or middle management, it won't feel respected or accepted, right? KPIs, bonuses, internal politics, not getting it. That's also a big issue. Uh, so you have to you have to have support by the CEO long term, or even chairman, right? For those startups, uh, to avoid the immune system of the core organization, uh, it will activate immune antibodies and it will kill the innovative innovative idea. So you you need strong strong long term backing by the CEO or chairman. Also, a big mistake is to evaluate startups or innovation by financial KPIs. Like, let's say discounted cash flow or IRR or EVA. It's all BS, right? Because you need to look at uh, progress or learning KPIs for startups, not financial KPIs. That, that becomes more important, let's say, after a year or maybe even two years, uh, not from day one. Also, there's a big issue in terms of people. Uh, um, let's say many corporates, they want to, um, yeah, let's say bring in their own employees to, 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 to start those startups, uh, external startups. But you need a mixture of young and old people, external people, internal people in those small teams to driving the, the, driving the startups, right? That's a big mistake. So they only do their internal employees, their older employees. It doesn't work. You need a mix, a mixture of different competencies. So how do you create that mixture? Do you do you buy do you buy startups? Now it's it's basically quite simple. The the more disruption you encounter in your business in your vertical market, the more you need to focus on young people, the non experts, and external people outside your core organization. The reason is because you need more new, fresh uh, perspectives and frames. And the more you are attuned to your internal politics, as, an, as a, let's say, an older employee, the more you are uh, yeah, con- preconditioned. Yeah? You have a fixed mental model about the world. And that's an issue for innovation. But but but, but couldn't couldn't the company just buy buy startups that are doing well? Instead of sometimes, you know, so having the, excuse me. Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes it's too late. It all depends on the situation. How much money do you have? How much time are you a burning platform? Do you need to have an equity hire? Can you build up the competencies and employees yourself by yourself, or do you have to buy it? Uh, how strategic is it? Is it uh, what is the competitive d- dynamic? What is the timing issue? Mm-hmm. There are so many variables that are important in terms of, let's say, M&A or doing it yourself, or do an investment or partnership. It's a very nuanced answer, right? Hmm. Mostly, yeah. even Google and Facebook and Yahoo in the past, or Microsoft even, they bought a lot of startups, and what happens? Eight out of ten, they killed the startup. You know why? No. Yeah, because they integrated the soft factors of the of the success of the startup. 
let's say, community, the users, and the, and the products. But you can only integrate a startup in, inside your core organization if it's about the hard factors. That means revenue-based, IP, and talents. If you integrate a startup yeah, after, you, after M&A, while the reason for buying it is a soft factor, let's say rev, uh, community, uh, products, users, it's a big mistake. And the reason is very simple. The, the value of the soft factors is flourishing as an independent, uh, independent entity. When you integrate it, you kill it. When you integrate yeah. hard factors like IP, it's, it's easy, or machines, or balance, or maybe even uh, revenue. It's a, it, it's, it's, there, there's no backlash, right? So it's, you need to look at M&A in a very detailed, nuanced, uh, holistic way. If you don't, you're into trouble. Uh, so... Um... So, so um, if if you if you build an organization outside your organization to to innovate, for how long should you accept uh, the organization to fail before you you end it? Yeah, good question. So it's 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 hard to tell because in the past we used to have long feedback cycles, right? So you have, you create a startup in a corporation. Here you have five million. I speak to you after a year or, or after two years, right? Long feedback cycles. It doesn't work. The new way is to have different teams, five teams competing with each other, five for uh, five people for five weeks for five thousand euro. You 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 validate your concept, and after five weeks you amplify the budget based on progress. If you don't make progress, hmm. okay, it's a, you will divest after five weeks. The next round, after an additional five weeks or maybe a little bit longer. You, you measure progress or learning, yeah, product market fit, problem solution fit, those kind of things, right? Design thinking, lean startup. If you see progress, you amplify the budget and then you build a prototype or design, whatever, and then you move to a product, right? So the way you kill an idea is after a short feedback cycle, let's say five weeks, in which you see no progress at all. Yeah, or maybe even validation of um, the lack of a use case, right? Um, hmm. If you sense that, you kill it. The good news is because you only invested a small amount of money, 5K, 50K, whatever, it's peanuts. Right? Trial, by, trial and small error, small error, so you fail fast, fail often, meaning using lean startup or design thinking, you are able to divest bad ideas much more quickly than in the past, right? Because you have short feedback loops instead of long feedback loops. Yeah. So so you're saying is actually to, to organize this as a startup ecosystem yeah. where yeah. The, the, the organization is so, sort of an yes. in incubator at first and then and then after that they're more of an investor, now, right? There are some differences because, as you probably know, uh, when you have to disrupt yourself inside your core, when I a core, inside your yeah, corporate, you have two clients, the internal client and the external client. While if you are a startup in an incubator, let's say Y Combinator or a tech startup, whatever you, you only have to deal with the external customers. So you, you have a beneficial 
let's say, ecosystem or environment, right? It's le less complex. So if you want, a, yeah. if you want to build a startup in a corporate, the internal client in most cases is m much more uh, a nuisance than the external client. So it, it lowers your possibilities in terms of uh, customer adoption and traction because you have two clients instead of one, right? And that's a big issue. So the only way to hmm. uh, overcompensate this, if 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 you have enlightened uh, C-suites and boards that understand that they have to uh, remove all the inhibitors of an internal stakeholder st stakeholders relative to startups, internal startups, to make sure that, that that they have a level playing field with external customers and external startups offering the same proposition. Does it make sense? Yes, it doesn't make sense. Uh, and uh, and but what you're saying it's is very hard because yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's, it's very hard because uh, uh, it's, it's feasible, but it's very hard. It's very very hard, but it's feasible. Yeah, are, are there any are any, any examples that that you know in companies that are doing this right now? Yeah, so I think uh, of course I don't, I don't know all the all the current examples, but. What I see in Google is very interesting, like Google Ventures and Google Capital, hmm. because Google is able to, and that's a key metric of, let's say, maturity, Google Ventures can invest in startups that is not only disrupting Google Ventures itself, hmm. but also services by Google. Hmm. So that's double disruption, Full authenticity, full independence, full mandate. Hmm. That's the real deal, right? Hmm. And most other, uh, other large corporates are not able to do that because of internal politics, HQ, shareholder pressure, cash flow management, whatever you, timing issues. But Google is the real deal. And I think hire is, is quite similar to, to that, right? They have full autonomous organizations. They transformed 80,000 employees into, into, 2,000 individual startups that can collaborate and compete. Hmm. There's total disruption going on continuously, right? So they have a much more external focus as a result of that instead, instead of internal focus. So, yeah, so if, you can, if you can eradicate the, the internal politics, let's say the internal clients, you are in good shape as a corporate. Hmm. So this, if you have too much internal politics, yeah, yeah, sorry, then go you ahead. are basically... Hmm. So, so the main hurdle here is actually internal politics. That's that's the inhibitor yeah, of innovation. That's the main hurdle. So, if you yeah, and, 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 and that, that, there are some key insights here as well. Right, I work for corporates. Let's say almost eight years full time. The oh, why is there internal politics? Hmm. The core reason is uh, fast growth, messiness, fuzziness of the organization and structure. Yes, but most importantly, if if you have a lot of people inside your organization that are, that are not able to deliver, let's say in terms of content and uh, results, they will become more political over time to survive. Hmm. So the core way to avoid uh, internal politics is to hire a lot of, let's say, yeah, a, a kind of people or employees, right? Hmm. A, a players, we call it. Yeah. There's a lot of room to 
innovate from the inside out, passion and purpose driven, knowledge based, that are that are very results oriented. Uh, because those people will always create value in most scenarios uh, and you avoid the political dimension, right? So if you hire top, but if you, top people, sorry, if you hire top people that are purpose-driven, uh, you will reduce yes. the chance of having internal politics. Yeah, let, uh, it, it will still be the case, but much lesser so mm. than, let's say, in the opposite scenario. And I've seen both sides, huh? the, the dream teams and also the, the legacy teams and organizations. It's quite different. Hmm. Okay, because people, if, if people are insecure because of lack of substance, they will strategize and politicize. Hmm. So, and this will impact innovative uh, ideas and, and, and projects, right? Hmm. Because they feel more, they feel more threatened by it than, let's say, if you are an A player, because then you will embrace those innovative ideas. And contribute because you don't feel insecure, you know, you will survive, blah blah, and that's a big issue. But are there enough A players to to uh, the to all the companies uh, in the world, <laughs> or is it is it actually a bad uh, uh, is it is it a battle of people? Is that the real is that the real competition? Nah, I think it's. Yeah, it's 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 nothing really special uh, like like the last five uh, hundred years or maybe even be beyond that. You also have a scarcity of you always have a scarcity of A players, right? They can work anywhere or for themselves. Um, so yeah, the the key it will be a talent management game uh, going forward. So the most visionary corporates or let's say startups or large startups they will entice talents early on and retain them. Right, so it will be an HR game in the next decades, mm. more so than ever before. Even though we have abundance of employees, but but we have scarcity of A players. Yeah, so so yeah, it will be an HR game. That's that's really interesting, and uh, yeah, it will be HR. yeah, yeah, HR. it's like uh, but in sorry way of course. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But HR in a new way, that, that much more social, included AI driven. Uh, so AI, uh, artificial intelligence algorithms as a selection tool and retention tool, recruitment tool. Mm. Um, so HR will be totally re re revamped by new technologies. Yeah. Yeah, but it, yeah, um, HR aligned with the with an innovative innovative organization approach to yeah like with ai and stuff now what, what we see today for example if you look at uber or other uh, let's say exponential organizations they have a much stronger focus on recruitment hmm. so especially in, uh, for the first 30 employees they invest one or two days full time to select a new employee employee That's quite different from the past, eh, in which you select people by one hour, two hours, and that's it, right? So the intensity of the HR process, recruitment process, process is much higher, is much more intense than, let's say, 10 years ago. And the reason is because culture is become, becoming more important, purpose even more so, eh, the MTP, the Massive Transformative Purpose, and you need to build uh, a cohesive culture eh, from, from day one to day 60, so to speak. Mm. So there's more pressure to focus on 
uh, the quality and the, the fits of new recruits than ever before. And the A players, of course. Mm. So if if you were um, the CEO of a major consumer goods company, uh, how would you organize the company to meet the future? If if you because you 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 like if I'm hearing you correctly, you would have to have the backing of the the chairman uh, of the company uh, to to do certain things, and in, in even the stockholders. But aren't the system isn't the system today? The, the stockholder uh, system where you know where the stockholders are they want they want to um, uh, they want to return on their investment isn't that the 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 key driver to for a business to remain like it always has been uh, isn't I don't see how you can how is it possible to change this now it's very simple uh, basically if if um Most large large corporates are not able to change, right? That's why we say more than half, maybe more, will become well less important over time. They will die or they become less 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 relevant in the next decades. So you have to change, right? So if you look at shareholder value or cash flow, of course, in a few years you have a dip. Yeah, because you innovate on the edges, you have a lower margin at first, and you will disrupt your current business model, right? Hmm. That's a classic innovators dilemma dilemma issue by Clayton, Clayton Christensen hmm. uh, playing out. So, but the point is, we see the emergence of strong, uh, courageous, visionary leaders who are able to be, become more vulnerable. And so it's a strange mixture. Uh, Jeffrey Immold, Paul Pullman, uh, Unilever, the CEO mm. of Hire. Now I can, can go on and on. That's interesting. And why are these organizations able to withstand the shareholder pre- uh, value pressure? The reason is because uh, the ownership of the priority shares is mostly in the co-founders mm. who are still driving the organization. Yeah. Apple, Google, Facebook, Tesla, Amazon are all founder-driven organizations in which priority shares are as a majority in those co-founders. Hmm. So that means they can ignore shareholders, they can make long-term bets, they are able to disrupt themselves on a product and service level and even even on, on, on an organizational level. Hmm. They, were, they are able to kill their current whole organization without any backfire by shareholders. Hmm. So the so yeah, in so, most sorry now most now most large corporates in Europe are the opposite. They are fully driven by shareholder value, short-termism, quarterly results, right? Financial KPIs, and that's of course BS in this exponential world in 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 which you need to embrace and stimulate disruptive innovation and long-term bets, right? But we leak the backing or we lack the backing of uh, priority shares uh, owned by the co-founders of the organization hmm. in most large corporates in, 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 in Europe. So we are, yeah, we have an issue on, on two levels. One, priority shares. Two, we are not founder-driven. We are CEO-driven. 
And a CEO has less skin in the game, emotionally and spiritually, relative to a co-founder. Right? This is a key distinction. So what we see is that, let's say, in corporates, if you, if you still have a founder culture, like Intuit, yeah, financial software, yeah, Scott Cook is still an evangelist. He is still a key influential person inside Intuit. That's why Intuit is so innovative. They are able to disrupt themselves continuously in the last six to 10 years. Mm. Unlike, let's say, other financial software companies. Yeah. So there's a, uh, what I'm from hearing now is that uh, the the new major players will all be founder driven. Is that correct? Yeah, as as long as possible. Of course, sometimes they have to die or let go of control, whatever you, because of aging and other priorities. That's all fine. But ideally, the longer the co-founders stay in the C-suite or board. The better it is. So, what about the the? Why? Yeah, yeah but, but what about the uh, the you know the banks, the insurance companies, all the big major players today that are not see uh, that are not founder driven? What will you know? Will will they go? Will they <laughs> will they vanish? I am. I I would say uh, based on this reasoning, yes. Okay, because. If you look at the facts, yeah, uh, and there are quite some uh, interesting uh, developments inside this financial industry yeah, because of all these projects, they they are basically screwed by blockchain, right, and AI. So if you if you need to build build a bank or an insurance company or an investment company without any legacy or in, or Suncoast or Inertia, it will be blockchain based, a startup distributed and AI driven, hmm. uh, deep learning. That's it. Hmm. No more real estate, no more employees, or maybe a few employees, and that's it. And then you scale, Hmm. right? So what what banks are doing, they're trying to co-opt the blockchain and co-opt or install algorithms, AI, deep learning, to avoid the tsunami that's coming of change. Hmm. But they are not able to uh, make really long-term bets because of shell, the pressure, and because of the CEO culture instead of founder culture, right? Yeah. So to my point, in line with my point, I expect that most large financial institutions will, will be yeah, in trouble in the next five to 10 years, unless they are able to lobby and influence regulations to um, enforce uh, protective measures against startups, including blockchain and AI startups that will disrupt their whole organization which they are doing right now as we speak, just like pharma and energy companies, etc., medical companies, right? So the incumbents know they are in trouble as a last lender of, lender of, uh, of uh, let's say, last way out. They try to influence regulation to yeah, withstand disruption. Mm-hmm. But it won't be a long-term tactic in my view. No, um, yeah, it sounds like uh, the last resort. Um, so, uh, yeah. yeah. So, um, um, I've I've read about uh, I've uh, you know I've I've, I've read your, your book and I've read about this concept and other people's concepts around this and and 
but when will when will will we see a radical change? When you know, when will we see the same change? Because people keep saying that you know in five years, in ten years, but will it really happen, or is it, or is it just? We don't know. I cannot look into the future. I, the only thing I know is that if you look at the fundamentals, right, um, of of finance, it's it's basically done, right? And it's very simple. If you look at it from a let's say very high level, a bank's a, a, a bank or let's say financial institution, they appropriate a lot of value while creating only a small amount of value. Hmm. It's asymmetric. And this will never uphold long term. That's a historic uh, law, right? So what will happen is we, we will see a recalibration of the whole financial service yeah, industry. They have to create either more value hmm. in line with their appropriation of value or they have to lower their appropriation capturing of value. Right? In line with, with their low value uh, add or creation. So, and the, 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 blo the blockchain and the AI are the key drivers of, of this yeah, equalization, recalibration. Um, and of course, it's feasible or likely that they will yeah, use lobbyists to influence uh, regulation to avoid disruption, right? Mm. To protect incumbents. That's happening today in many ways I know uh, everywhere across the world. But the, the funny thing is, or even not funny, that's very detrimental for the citizen, for the user, for society and for the planet, right? And for startups. Mm. So we are, we are uh, inhibiting a lot of key stakeholders while, while only protecting the money interest of the incumbents, meaning the shareholders. I think this is not sustainable long term. If we try to keep the system as it is today, I, I anticipate, uh, uh, let's say, strong protests, uh, let's say, anarchy in the next 10 to 20 years because people will not accept this any longer. Hmm. And there's a rising tide of, um, let's say, anger and anxiety and people craving for change, uh, new banks and... Yeah, we, I think it will become an intensified issue over time. It's like the you know, the Occupy Wall Street movement. Was that is that an example of this? You think? Yeah, mm. yeah, but that's a small example. But uh, next year we'll, we'll have an additional financial economic crisis, mm. uh, probably October next year, you, bigger than the eight years ago. You think so? Or nine years ago? Yeah. Why is that? I'm not sure. Why is that? Why? It's very simple. Yeah. Very simple. If you look at the, the, the global economy, in the last eight years, we have printed money yeah, or similar measures like that, like obligations or uh, not obligations, but let's say bonds uh, in Europe. We have created fake money by between 30 to 60 trillion US dollars in Japan, China, EU, Europe and the US. Right? Mm. So what goes up must come down. Now we are in the up phase, eh? the up phase of the last few years globally in Japan and China and Europe and, uh, and more, import more importantly in the US. But it's not um, this, 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 this sudden boom or 
is artificial, right? If you look at the real economy, investments, producing you, uh, assets and products and services, it's, it's, it's lagging behind, let's say, from the last uh, recoveries, yeah. right? All the money goes to men, uh, spending, lending, consuming, uh, not real structural economic activity. So if you look at the houses, for example, in, in Holland, uh, where I live, the houses have uh, been yeah, inflated by 100,000 euros yeah, in Amsterdam and Rotterdam in one year, right? Mm. That, that's, that's, that's nuts. That's like a, a 20 to, to 50% increase in house prices. Mm. That's ridiculous, right? So this is not sustainable. Uh, and the reason is because there's so much money, it, it needs to go somewhere, right? Stock market, real estate, lending bubbles, Mm. Uh, the housing market, what have you. But just like eight years ago, it's the same process. It's not, um, it cannot be sustained. It's, it's, it's fake. It's phony. It's, it's QE. Mm. It's phony money, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I expect a large correction within 18 months, probably a year. Mm. So, uh, and by the way, it has been corroborated by also, Predicted by two central bankers in the world, which mm. I know personally, yeah. by Nassim Taleb, number one thinker in the world of management, mm. uh, and Black Swan, uh, anti-fragile. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Berry, he's the guy who, who, who predicted uh, the previous crisis, uh, the, the big short, mm. the movie, yeah. and the book. Mm. Michael Berry, uh, Jim Rogers, um, now, uh, the, the Gold, Goldman Sachs, uh, highly influential investment bankers. People at Singularity University, people in China, people in Europe. Yeah. This will become reality. Well, anyways, uh, thank you very much, Yuri. It's, it's, it's been a real pleasure. And uh, we will see you in in Oslo, in Norway, and uh, in the 20th of October. And uh, could you just shortly at the end, just what, what will you talk about uh, in Norway? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to talk about my book, uh, about exponential technologies, about exponential organizations. So... How can, uh, what is the organizational model of the 21st century? Uh, so it's totally different from the past. I will give some details there and examples and case studies. Uh, it will be quite, um, yeah, interesting because uh, there's, there's so much going on in the world today. It's just incredible. Also in terms of technologies like uh, quantum computing, artificial intelligence, blockchain and nanotechnology. And all these fields are converging as we speak. Yeah, so, for example, we have 50 billion new materials uh, becoming available in the next few years based on quantum AI plus nanotechnology. So that, that, that's just incredible to uh, think about. But it's happening uh, as we speak. And there's so many examples, like 500 to, to, to share uh, how the world is changing because of technology and also new organizational models are emerging. Beklager en litt brå avbrytelse der, men vi fick noen tekniske problemer. Jury skal som nevnt i innledningen snakke på Corporate Innovation Day i Oslo 20. oktober. Skifter er mediepartner, så du får rabatt hvis du vil delta på arrangementet. Bruk partnerkoden SHIFTER og skriv SHIFTER i kodefeltet. Har du tips til startups, gründere eller andre interessante personer vi bør ta en prat med, så ikke nøl med å ta kontakt. Da kan du sende en mail til mig, lukas at skifter.no, eller min kollega Per Ivar at skifter.no. På gjenhør.